Mark chapter 9, to stand, we'll read together Mark chapter 9. I started out thinking it would be verses 1 through 13, cut it down to verses 1 through 8, and then maybe next Sunday we'll cover 9 through 13. We'll see uh, how the week goes. As you think of it, pray for me. I am flying out tomorrow morning to New Orleans. I'll be preaching at the Louisiana Baptist uh, Convention, the pastor's conference there Monday night, and I'll be back here Tuesday. It's a quick trip. Pray that uh, I don't embarrass us while I'm there in Louisiana. All right, Mark chapter 9. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God. Let's read now in verse 1. <clears throat> and he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them. His clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. There appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking to Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not, did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And the cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Join me as we pray. <clears throat> Father, you've given us the Holy Spirit that indwells us. You've given us your word. You've given us your son, Jesus. Now I pray that the reading and preaching of your word by the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of your son Jesus would turn our hearts to you. We need your help today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I was not a great student in high school and college. I was okay, not great. Got out of college and went into seminary and started, was a first, first started in seminary with sort of a false start. Started again in New Orleans Seminary and finished there. And after seminary, I learned that I actually do like to read. Enjoy reading. So every night about 9 o'clock from 9 to 10, I'll open a book, read. Try to go through history and biographies. And probably over the course of the last 25, 30 years, I've read lots of books, and there is one biography that stands out to me. Written by a man named William Manchester. It's a magisterial biography. Winston Churchill, you can find it called The Last Lion. There's several volumes. And every page is filled with writing that makes your soul soar, and it makes you really love the man, Winston Churchill. 
2017, I'm sitting at my desk and someone sends me a text, a YouTube video of a movie that is coming out called The Darkest Hour. A preview of a movie depicting just one little snippet of Winston Churchill's life. And I remember watching that preview over and over and over again because I could not wait for the movie to come out. And I've seen that movie now probably 25 times. The preview got me ready for it. That's what you have here in front of you. It's a preview. If you've been following along, three things have happened that got us to this point. First thing was Peter's great confession. Remember the great confession? You are the Christ, you're the son of the living God. Peter said that. Jesus says, nobody gave that to you. God gave that to you. After Peter made the great confession, Jesus then explains for the very first time to his disciples this is what has to happen to the Son of Man. He will be crucified and raised from the dead. They are told, not only is he the Christ, the Son of God, that he is going to be killed. And then after hearing how he would die and be raised again, at the end of chapter 8, it's where we ended off last week, at the end of chapter 8, you have Jesus offer up this radical call for discipleship. You remember the words, right? To deny yourself, to take up your cross, to follow him. Those are heavy things to happen. At the end of all those heavy things, chapter 9 opens up with a glorious preview. And I've been asking all week, why? Why? Why is this here? Why the transfiguration? Why is that necessary? You're studying the Bible. That's what you end up doing. Why is that here? And here's what I think. It's the glory. If you like to write things down, you might write it down. The glory, the glory of Jesus gives us what we need. The glory of Jesus gives us what we need. We live in a world that is going to hell. We've been given commands to follow Jesus. Those commands are heavy. And yet this picture here reminds us there is this tremendous glory waiting. Here's what I'd like to do. I, I want to just go through. Uh, anytime there's a narrative passage, let's walk through. I want to point out a couple of things. And then we'll come back and see if we can make some sense and find out why do we need, why do we need the transfiguration. Go with me to verse 1 of chapter 9. You might even back up a little bit in, in chapter 8. <clears throat> there in verse 38, Jesus has sort of thrown down the gauntlet and um, he's talked through what it means to follow him. He finishes up in verse 38 that anybody that is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed. He's going to come with glory. <clears throat> He'll come with the glory of the Father. He'll bring millions of angels. Now tie that to verse 1 of chapter 9. And he said to them, he's still talking to the crowds, not just the disciples. He's talking to all of the followers, the hangers-on, those that think he's really neat. And he said to them in verse 1, 
Truly I say to you, there are some people standing right here. They're not going to taste death. That's a dramatic way of saying they're not going to die. They're not going to taste death until they have seen the kingdom. Is the kingdom going to come with all of its power? So there's a pretty dramatic thing in verse 1 after what he said in chapter 8, verse 38. And Mark tells us that the week passed, almost a week, it's six days later in verse 2. After six days, Jesus then takes those who's closest to him. He has 12 disciples. That would be sort of the team. There are three of them that are very close to Jesus, the sons of thunder, James and John, and the man named Peter. Peter is probably the primary source of the gospel of Mark. He's the one that has told Mark everything that happened years ago. And the text says in verse 2 that Jesus took those three men who were his closest confidants. They go up on a high mountain. We don't know where the mountain is. It's not Mount Sinai. It could be Mount Hermon. It's the highest peak there. It's 9,000 feet. The text says it's a very high mountain. We find out from the other gospels that they go up there to pray and spend time praying. We find out here that they go by themselves is just Jesus and those three. The transfiguration, we'll find out there are two more coming. So in this passage, there are going to be six men up there. But right now, it's Jesus and his closest ones. And verse 3 tells us something happened. <clears throat> verse 2 says that he's transfigured. We call it the transfiguration. That, that word means a dramatic change. We have the metamorphosis, the Greek word. It's a dramatic change. It's from one thing to the other. It's a description in the Bible, in the New Testament, of coming from darkness to light. It sometimes is used to talk about conversion, what it means to become a Christian. There's a dramatic change. But right here, there's a change in Jesus. And verse 3 tells us what happens about that change. Verse 3. His clothes begin to glow. They're radiant. Moses' face glowed, but he did because God shined on him and he reflected God's glory. Jesus is. Verse 3 says his clothes become radiant. They are intensely white. And listen to the way that uh, the, th this is an eyewitness description. He's given it to Mark. They become intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. It's like Peter's trying to describe just how white. I don't mean just white like a tablecloth. I don't mean white like a piece of paper. I mean so white that there's not a person on earth that could bleach them to make them that white. You couldn't believe how white they are. That's verse 3. Now something happens. <clears throat> Two men appear. Two great men from the Old Testament. Here is Jesus, the greatest in the New Testament. Now two great ones from the Old Testament appear. A man named Moses who gave the law of God, a man named Elijah, who preached the law of God. Moses is the greatest lawgiver in the Old Testament. Elijah is the greatest preacher in the Old Testament. And now they are there with Jesus. And Peter tells Mark, they're talking, verse 4. Verse 4 tells us they're talking. Now Mark clips it down. We find out from the other Gospels that they are actually talking to Jesus about his exit. That's the Greek word, exit, about his departure, about how he's going to leave, which is interesting when you think about how Moses left and how Elijah left. 
They're talking about his departure and everything that would entail what that means. You have the law and the prophets and Christ, and it is a beautiful scene, and Peter is overcome. Verse 5, Peter, he's the leader, he's the spokesman, and begins to talk. Sometimes Peter talks when he should not talk, and he just rambles there in verse 5. And he says, Rabbi, that's the wrong thing to call Jesus right here in the middle of this transfiguration, Rabbi. Rabbi is, is a diminished name from what he has heard. Peter's the one that said, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. Jesus called himself the son of man. They are now on the mountain. Jesus has been transfigured. Now Moses is there, Elijah is there, and Peter decides here to show familiarity. It's a strange time to be so familiar, Rabbi. Peter says, it is good for all of us to be here. There's six of them now on the mountain. Let's make some tabernacles. Some, some, see, some see Peter's desire to stay there. They want to be there. It's a mountaintop experience. He wants to stay on the mountain. I'm not sure that's what it is. I think he just doesn't know what else to say. He just starts talking. Let's make three tents or tabernacles. Let's make one for you and one for Elijah, one for Moses, Let's do all three. Some think that maybe this is Peter saying that now Jesus is equal to Moses and Elijah. He's not getting the idea that Jesus is completely distinguished from the Old Testament. We really don't know. What I think is what verse 6 tells us. He didn't know what to say. Scared. He was terrified. Which, understandably, never seen a transfiguration. Scared to death. Have read about Moses, read about Elijah, never seen them in person. There they are. He's scared to death and he starts talking. There are two different kinds of people. Some, some people get scared and get quiet. Some people get scared and start talking. Peter just kept running his mouth. To the degree, in verse 7, cloud, cloud. <clears throat> Might be worthwhile to circle cloud and do an Old Testament uh, Maybe a word study, where does that come from? Cloud, where is it used? How is it used in the Old Testament? Where do we see it in the New Testament? When it comes to the presence of God and the glory of God, there's obviously a correlation. A cloud has now descended, and out of that cloud, it's, there's, a, there, there's a covering because you can't see the holiness of God and, and, and survive. And out of that cloud comes something familiar. Verse 7, it's the voice of God. They've heard him say this before, once before at the baptism of Jesus. This is my beloved son. Listen. That's added now. Listen to him. You've read Moses. You know Elijah. Now here. They have been leading to this. Listen to him. Once it said that, verse 8, come down to verse 8. Something miraculous happens. You read the other Gospels. You, you, the idea is that they are on their faces, that this probably happened at night, so that made it that more brilliant, and that when all of that is gone, verse 8 says, now they see only, they finally pick their heads up, verse 8, and suddenly start looking around, and they no longer saw anyone but Jesus alone. Okay. Back all the way up now. Let's take a look at it. Why? 
is this here? First thing I think, number one, why is it here? Because we need hope. We need hope. Every person sitting in here right now needs just a little bit. Just a little bit of hope. When you read chapter 8, verse 38, and you read uh, really from verse 36, 37, and 38, and the call for discipleship, that call of discipleship can seem overbearing. Sometimes we can make discipleship deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. We can make it sound like drudgery, like all there is is this sort of in the galley of a ship and you're pulling on, a, pulling on an oar and all you are is chained to it and it's nothing more than obligation. And this is here, bring James and John and Peter up on the mountain so that they can see. James and John and Peter, they, those are the three that were there when Jairus' daughter was healed. They would be the ones that go into the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. They would be the primary spokesman. John would write about it. James would be killed for it. Peter would write about it and crucified upside down. But he would write because he's seen it. And, and here on the mountain of transfiguration, those three men are going up there so that they can see and have hope. They're going to see something on the mountain of transfiguration. In verse 2, they're going to see something that has not been seen by the human eye since the Garden of Eden. And Jesus lets them know in verse 1, you're going to see just a picture, just a little, just a little snapshot of the kingdom, the transfiguration. And seeing just a little picture, man, it doesn't take much just a little hope, just a little picture, just a little something for your soul. And it would give these three men who will go on to follow Jesus and be killed for it, it will give them tremendous strength to walk through all kinds of adversity. The, the transfiguration is going to remind them of several things. The transfiguration will remind them that Jesus is the kingdom of God. Now, there is coming an eschatological kingdom. Jesus will usher that in. But here is a picture. Jesus, the kingdom of God. This will remind them that Jesus is not just a teacher. He is the glory of God. This will tell them, he stands there with Moses and Elijah, that Jesus is the law of God. Jesus said it himself, I came to fulfill the law. This will tell them that Jesus is the wisdom of God. Listen to him, God says. This will tell them, in fact, what Peter said. Jesus is the Son of God. The transfiguration is there for us to remind us that this is the hope. Christ is the hope of God. That he is your hope. That our God is a happy. And this is filled with sunshine sunshine and light. Our God is a happy God that rejoices in his son Jesus and rejoices in you when you are in Jesus. That as a Christian, you can live your life filled with hope regardless of what you're walking into. You can wake up with joy in the Lord because this is the Lord's day that he has made. You can rejoice and be glad in it. It's God giving a 
This is a large kindness to those three. God gives us small kindnesses. Just small things to encourage our hearts. Small things to remind us to be joyful in the Lord, to, to, to know that what we're walking through is not in vain. Brothers and sisters, if you're in Christ, you, you have hope, and we need that hope. We, we run off of hope. You walked in today because this is a place of hope. But it's not just some vague hope. Remember what our hope is, where it is anchored. Where is our hope anchored? Our hope is anchored in the perfect life of Jesus, his death on the cross for our sins. Our hope is anchored in the resurrection. Man, it... it Mallow Creek campus yesterday was a tragic, one of our members there just tragically died suddenly of a heart attack. And, and as, as ministers of the gospel, all of our pastors there were taking care of a woman just lost her husband. And really what you, I mean, we've immediately, I've got something to offer here. I don't just have to offer condolences. I can offer hope can point directly to the death and resurrection of Jesus, to the hope of heaven. Jesus takes these three men up on the mountain and gives them just a little picture. It's going to strengthen, it's going to put steel in their spines. Great hope for the, the love of God, for the sustaining power of God. The great hope of heaven. Why is this here? It's because we need hope. Let me give you something else. Why else this is here? Number two, we need reminders. Reminders. You got them on your phone. You see it on your calendar. You can set alarms. We need reminders. Every Sunday morning, I have several alarms set on one phone. I don't know if that's effective or not. I just need reminders. What are the reminders here in verses two and three? Let me point out a couple of them. <clears throat> verses two and three, after six days, Jesus took with him Look at the three, Peter, James, and John, and led them up by, by, on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured there before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. Verses two and three, I just, when I just saw that, there's things to be reminded of. We need reminders. One is that we need actual fellowship and accountability. There are three men that walked with Jesus and they had fellowship. They were close brothers. They were friends. They walked together. They took care of one another. One of the great <clears throat> assets of the Christian church and should be the hallmarks of coming to Hickory Grove is fellowship and accountability. That you have an inner circle, people that you're close with, worshiping the same God, rejoicing in the same Savior, bought by the same blood of Jesus. I mean, we need that, and we need reminders. When you, come into a, this, when you come into this church building and you see that the people are the church and you're glad to see each other, there are reminders. You're not by yourself. Reminders. <clears throat> Took them on a high mountain. Mountaintop experience. Could, could have taken several days to get up there. One of the reminders is that we... We actually do, this, this text says they went off by themselves. You actually do need time to time to get off, maybe with a couple. You might even call it a treat. Two or three or four or five 
people retreat to be alone with Christ there. Luke says they went up there to pray. They got together alone to pray, to be, to be off with brothers and sisters in Christ, to be strengthened. That's a good thing to do. Get to the transfiguration. Verse 2 calls it the transfiguration. It's the Greek word metamorphosis, to change. What did that change remind them of? A couple of things. Mark says that it's so pure, so white. We are reminded of the purity of Christ. We are reminded of his holiness. We are reminded that, that we are accepted by God, not because we're good people, but because Christ is completely holy and he gives us this righteousness. He, he makes it so that we're whiter than any bleach on earth can make us. I read this passage and I think about the reminders. I, I need to be reminded <clears throat> that, that the Lord's church is good. I need the church and I need worship. I need to come and engage in worship and sing the songs with, with joy in my heart because of Christ. I need to be reminded that the Bible holds me up, that, that I need brothers and sisters in my life to help me, to correct me, to remind me of that my joy is in the Lord, that I'm living for Christ. I need to be reminded that, that my sins are forgiven. There is forgiveness. I need to be reminded that I forgive people. I need to be reminded of the grace that I have received and the grace that I am called to give. We need hope and we need reminders. Let me give you a third thing we need. <clears throat> Number three, we need depth. We need depth. We need depth. We need to be deep. I want your faith to be deep. I want it to be informed. I want you to know what the Bible says. I want you to know who Christ is. I want you to know the attributes of God. There's depth here in verse 3 and 4. You find it there in verse 4. Let me read it to you. <clears throat> there appeared to them Elijah with Moses. And those two are talking to Jesus. Luke says they are talking about his exit, his departure. Okay, so let's think through. Why, why Moses? Why Elijah? Well, number one, there's no lawgiver like Moses. No lawgiver like Moses. He's the one through God gave the law through Moses. Not only that, there's no prophet like Elijah. And Jesus is the fulfillment of the law that Moses gave and Elijah preached. What else is interesting is that Moses and Elijah both met with God on Mount Sinai. Now they're meeting on another mountain. Mount Sinai would be a mountain of law. This mountain with Jesus is a mountain of grace. It's a gospel mountain. Not only that, the text says they are talking with Jesus. What are they saying? Well, Luke tells us what they're saying. They're talking about Jesus' exit, his departure, where he's going, which is interesting because the way Moses died Went up on the mountain, God was with him, and Moses died. God buried him. Nobody knows where Moses is. What about Elijah? How did Elijah die? He didn't die. God came down and swept him up. Those two with peculiar endings are talking to Jesus about his departure, his exit. 
What's interesting to me is that it is fair to call Moses the great emancipator, the great emancipator. He led God's people out of slavery. Elijah would be the great proclaimer of God's goodness and the power of God. And those two men are standing talking to Jesus. Jesus is standing there as the greater Moses and the truer Elijah. And through the atoning death of Jesus on the cross, through his resurrection, he will lead and head up the second great exodus from the enslavement of sin and death and Satan. Moses, when he stood on Mount Sinai, he reflected God's glory. Jesus on the mountain of transfiguration is God's glory. Elijah preached God's glory. Jesus brings God's glory. And the transfiguration is nothing more than a preview. There are a couple of you standing here. You'll see the kingdom of God before you die. He takes them up on the mountain and shows them just, just a preview of future glory. What else do we need? I'll give you a fourth one. Here's maybe the most practical. Number four. We need to be quiet. Sometimes it's all right, even in mid-sentence, just to stop talking. Right in the middle of a thought, stop talking. It's all right sometimes. You don't have to open your mouth all the time. I'm saying that because of Peter, verses 5 and 6. Verse 5, you, you have Peter, he just starts talking, and he says, calls Jesus rabbi, which is odd. It shows his total failure to grasp who Jesus is in this moment. And then he offers up this strange proposal. It, it is a complete misunderstanding of the significance of the situation. We'll find out why in verse 6. Verse 6 tells us he's so nervous, he's scared to death, he just talks. And, and just by way of example, this is an example to us Sometimes it's better just to be quiet. We find that out in the next passage. The fifth thing, number five, that is we need to listen. You know what God says? Join me there in verse seven. You see the cloud in verse seven. The cloud, I told you about that earlier. <clears throat> verse seven says, a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. The cloud. I want you to think with me about the cloud. That's the same cloud when God led his people out of Egypt. He led them at night by fire and a cloud during the day. It is the same cloud in Exodus 33 after Moses had been through so much. He stands there and says, I want to see your glory. And the cloud God passes. The same cloud at the end of Exodus that would cover the tabernacle where God met with his people. It's the same cloud when Solomon's temple was dedicated, the cloud that descended in such a way, the cloud of God, so that the priest couldn't even minister. It's the same cloud in Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah 6, when Isaiah, in the, in the year that King Uzziah died, I didn't know what I was going to do, and I looked into the temple, and I saw the Lord holy and lifted up and cloud smoke 
the presence of God. <clears throat> and out of that cloud comes a voice, and it's the same voice they've heard before said the same thing. This is my son. Listen to him. Listen to him about the gospel, which is going to be his life, death, and resurrection. What is the gospel? Jesus lived for you. Jesus died on the cross in your place to take away your punishment. God raised him from the dead to show that the sacrifice has been received. He has ascended into heaven. And the gospel says if you put your faith in what Jesus did for you, you'll be saved. Listen to him for sanctification, growing in holiness. Listen to him. He will provide your need. You're going to make it. Listen to him. Receive forgiveness from God and give forgiveness to people. Listen to him that this life is not all there is. We don't weep as those who have no hope. Listen to him for future glory. There is coming an age when the Son of Man will return. The glory of his Father and the holy angels. Why is this here? I'll give you one last one and Call it. Number six, we need to focus on Jesus. We, you, need to focus on Jesus. I, you need to focus on Jesus. Don't you love how it ends? But then verse eight, Luke gives us a little expanded version of it. If they were up there, it's probably night. They'd, they'd fall into the ground as you would in the presence of a holy Jesus. And Moses is there, and Elijah is there, they're glowing, this bright light, you can't look at it, and God speaks from this cloud, and once he speaks, everything disappears, Jesus is there. And why is he there? Why are we looking at him alone? Why did Mark write it like that, Jesus by himself alone? It's because we need, we need to be reminded that that no matter what, there is a hope that awaits us in Christ. That Jesus Christ is the sole bearer of God's grace and love and forgiveness that is fully realized at the cross where he died and the resurrection where he lives. We need to be reminded that Jesus himself is the new tabernacle of God's glory. That all other pictures in the Bible, all other revelations, Moses and the, and the prophets, all of the other visions, the law, they have all been leading up to Christ alone. And no matter what, no matter what, Jesus is there. And where Jesus is, there is a glory that awaits us. Transfiguration. It's a preview because the glory of Jesus gives us what we need. This morning as we close with your heads bowed just for a moment, if you join me in a prayer of commitment and dedication. If you're hedged about this morning, if you're here and you're not sure as to how you can receive the glory of God in Jesus, 
You can receive this glory if you admit that you are a sinner before God, that Jesus lived perfectly, died in your place on the cross, that God raised him from the dead. And if you will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he did that for you, you receive this great promise that we've seen the preview of in the transfiguration. This morning when we sing, what I want to do is invite any of you here that would like to come and pray for someone that needs the glory of Christ. You want to come and pray with a pastor. You want to come and ask God to help you. Now's a good time to do it. It's the Lord's day. You're with God's people. It's the end of a worship service. It's a good time to do that. Pray together because we are God's people. If you want to talk to a pastor about what it means to give your life to Jesus Christ, you can talk to a pastor. You can talk to a Sunday school teacher. You can ask, tell me more about this. We want to talk further so you have a clear understanding of what it means to turn from sin and turn to Christ. This morning as we sing our last song, if God has spoken to your heart, you come and pray. Father, thank you for the good word you've given us, for the picture of Christ lifted high. We pray that you would strengthen our hearts, give us encouragement, find us faithful even now. In Jesus' name we pray.